0: the bears talk underground is brought to you by our friends at bet online bet online knows you might not be able to get out to a game this year but you can still get in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online Head on over to bet online today and use promo code armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses bet online, your online sports book experts. Hey guys, one last show before we all take a nice week long break and, uh, enjoy this bye week uh, enjoy the, uh, you can't lose if you don't play, uh, philosophy of this weekend. And, um, you know, Uh, one more conversation with our good friend, Lauren Cox from, uh, from locked on bears, uh, to, to kind of go over these last 10 weeks. We don't really get into specific game by game. We don't, we don't break it down that way. It's a very wide ranging conversation. We talk about a lot actually, uh, in this one. So, um, get buckled in, you know, Lauren and I plenty to talk about plenty of emotion, uh, and everything. And, um, well say we go ahead and get started? Because God knows we talk for long enough, so you don't need to hear very much from me. It's myself and Lauren Cox for the midseason review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Well, it took a little bit longer for us to get to this conversation this year. Last year it was, or last two years, it's been a week five and a week six bye week conversation. But this time we made it all the way to week 11 uh, for the bye. And uh, it's our annual midseason review, if that's what you want to call it. And uh, here to join us, as always, uh, in this case, to bellyache, whine, and complain uh, about the Chicago Bears, our good friend from Locked on Bears, Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back,
1: man. Hey, hey well, I'm Glad to be back. You know, it's it feels something that feels natural about Talking about the bears and bellyache, whining and complaining. This is just this is just how it's meant to be. It seems like
0: I suppose, man. I mean, it's just our lot in life to 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 be saddled with this team and 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 their nonsense and and their their new and creative ways to let us down as a fan base is uh, impressive in 2020. I mean, it kind of goes in line perfectly with just how insane 2020 as has been as a year. For the Bears to have a, you know, fifteen and one defense and a one and fifteen offense on the same team, just screams twenty twenty to me.
1: And for some reason, it screams like two thousand through two thousand and five, and then also <laughs> screams like two thousand and seven through two thousand twelve. Pretty much, yeah,
0: <laughs> pretty much. So you know, and then that that brief uh, you know foray into being an offensive powerhouse. In 2013 and 2014 under Tressman, but those were the Mel Tucker years on defense, where we got old overnight and went from having a top five NFL record-setting, uh, you know, for turnover touchdowns in 2012 to being the worst run defense in 2013, and then we improved the run defense in 2014 and became the worst pass-off defense uh, in the NFL uh, under Mel Tucker. So good times, good times. So it was uh, it was entertaining watching the Bears having to score 40 points a game uh, in order to win, but uh, not a whole lot of fun watching our opponents actually score 45 points uh, you know each
1: and every uh, week. So yeah, hard to tell if that was more fun than what we're dealing with now. I, I, it's a different kind of pain, I guess.
0: It really was. It really, really was. you know, It was super frustrating watching a defensive powerhouse just become a swinging gate as far as giving up points um and a lot of fun watching them score a ton of points but i I don't know which i would prefer to do Uh, all i know is that i I don't want to watch any more of what we've had to sit through the last 10 (laughs) weeks man yeah that's for sure you know i mean you you remember we talked at the beginning of the year you know the the was the last talk conversation before we dove into into week one uh and everything and i told you about my hesitancy about doing shows during the offseason, just didn't really feel confident about the season actually taking place or, you know, losing games to make room for COVID and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like this, this just kind of feels like right in line with what I was feeling. You know, it's just that we're actually living it as opposed to, uh, you know, missing out on
1: it. It doesn't feel like this was a team that was actually five and one. I mean, no. like. No, because no, no. even I don't know that there was very much along the way where we felt actually really good about it. I mean, maybe the win over the Buccaneers, it was kind of like, OK, yeah. like they went toe to toe with Tom Brady and and came out victorious. But, you know, the Lions game took the fourth quarter comeback. The Giants game was ugly. The Falcons game had the whole foals. I mean, it was just I know we'll get into it, but it, the, the Buccaneers game and maybe a little bit of the Panthers games were, were the only ones where you maybe felt OK, but never felt like five and one and. Now it feels more like uh, one in five, or I guess one in nine. <laughs> one in nine as they'd be right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just that, you know, and, and it sucks because, you know, it, it feels like 2019 all over again in the fact that going into 2019, all of the doubters and the experts were saying, you know, Mitch is not the guy. He's going to let you guys down. The Bears are going to be one of those teams that regresses. In 2019, even though we basically had literally everyone coming back and all that kind of stuff, and then it sucks to find out that they turned out to be right. And all the first five, six weeks of the season, everybody talking about how this is not a top-level NFC team. It just isn't. It's like, well, they keep winning, so what are you going to do? It's like, you know, at 5-1, and they were at, for a moment – the number one seed in the NFC. You know,
1: they just were. It's hard to believe.
0: It really is. And it didn't take long for them to be on the outside looking in, which is where we're at right now. You know, I think we're either number eight or number nine on the outside of the new seven-team playoff, and that all happened in, in four weeks, literally in four weeks, in a month, from our last victory on the 18th of October to our last... To, our, to the last game on Monday the 17th. We went from number one in the NFC to on the outside looking in and looking to be like lucky to be 5-5. Five and five. I mean, everyone kept saying we were lucky to be 5-1, and one, we're lucky to you know have the winning record and blah, blah, blah. And I think we all knew that. I don't think anyone was saying like, well, no, we're just a great football team. It's like, no, we just keep finding a way to win. That's all that matters is winning football games. And we were figuring out a way to do that. Call us pretenders if you want. We're going to keep winning, and then the three the, game, the three game stretch that we were all dreading came along, and then the disaster this past Monday, and it's like,
1: well, hell, I guess we are pretenders. I mean, we are
0: serious <laughs> pretenders, man.
1: Well, you, know? and you made you made a good point there that when we entered this season, and even a few weeks in, we were all looking ahead at that like middle season stretch there of Rams, Saints, and as it turned out, Titans. As clear playoff caliber opponents that are going to be either winning their division or right there at top wild card spots and it was like i remember at 5 even at 4 and 1 and 5 and 1 it was like all right this is going to be the stretch where we find out what this bears team actually is yeah. and we found out <laughs> over the last 4 weeks what they actually were but i mean it went off a
0: cliff man i mean i mean it wasn't pretty on offense not by any stretch of the imagination but these last 4 games we just disappeared on offense. You know, these last two especially don't even get me started. But, you know, like the the Rams game, that was, uh, I think when we were talking earlier, you said that was just a zero-sum game across the board because even the defense was terrible uh, in that game. That was just one of those. It's It was their night from the beginning. We couldn't do anything right. We couldn't get anything going uh, and all that kind of stuff. It was actually one of those losses you kind of just write off. You know, like it was national TV. You know, we just didn't get anything going. Nobody played well in that game. We lose that fine. We come back uh, the following Sunday against the Saints, and we actually played a bit better. Um. You know, Alvin, what's been impressive to me, actually, as I go off into another tangent, is that we had so much trouble defending the run earlier on, but we faced some of the better running backs we're going to see this season during this stretch, and we've been actually really good Like, Kamara didn't gash us over and over again. Dalvin Cook didn't get his yardage until after Akeem Hicks got hurt uh, on Monday. Derrick Henry was a virtual non-factor in his game and things like that. But, you know, we keep finding new and creative ways to let our opponents outscore us, Not, not to mention the fact that we've got an offense that can't keep up no matter what. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I guess something about Todd Gurley being that old with the Falcons and kind of running all over them must have put some kind of sour taste in their mouth that they wanted to make sure didn't happen again because you're you're 100% right. Like it was Derrick Henry shut down Dalvin Cook shut down and even those teams have had more improved offensive lines but it certainly speaks to a great job of this bears defense and particularly that defensive line coming into its own a little bit even with injuries and guys missing up front some of those guys they just keep finding defensive linemen anywhere and yeah. they step in chicago and play really well
0: yeah i mean we we signed mario edwards at the last minute we we brought brent Urban brent uh, urban off of waivers last year was it tennessee that let him go Yes. I think it was Tennessee. Started with him Baltimore in his career.
1: Right. But Tennessee So he's last
0: year. he's, you know, a semi journeyman in his short career. And, you know, he's found a home uh, in Chicago and, you know, he's been playing like a stud. Uh, I was listening to your show today, you know, praising Jay Rogers for bringing these guys in. You know, he didn't do it, but, you know, they brought Urban in, you know, here comes Mario Edwards, even McCullers, who was on the practice squad uh, for Pittsburgh. And these guys are playing well. You know, we we were able to finally have an answer for the run, but it's just, you know, it just, it's, it all falls back on the offense. I mean, I think we all knew that coming into the season. Like, everybody's going to be back. Trevathan's going to be back. Roquan's, uh, Keem Hicks. Everybody's going to be healthy. And, you know, so the defense is going to be fine. We might have some concerns at corner because, the guy that was supposed to start at corner got hurt, and then we cut the other guy, and we got to throw the rookie out there who's coming off a shoulder surgery. So we'll see how that goes kind of thing. But otherwise, we're going to be fine on defense. It's really going to be up to the offense. Did You know, can Mitch respond? Can he be the guy? Uh, you know, can he keep his job? Because he didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. This is it for him. What's going to be the, the difference? And then the offense... Like, from week one, just basically showed us what we were in for this year.
1: And I can see where, like, when the season first started, it was like, okay, there was no preseason, it was yeah. a pandemic offseason, and maybe there's going to be a little bit of rust early on. And the, and the fourth quarter comeback was kind of like, okay, maybe the first three quarters were rust and that there is still some potential here, and that it is going to get better. But then... You know, Giants wasn't a a very consistent performance through and through. Falcons required the same kind of fourth quarter comeback all the way to the quarterback change. And then it was like, okay, yep, okay, never mind. Pandemic be damned. This is just a bad offense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, and then some of the same complaints that we, we had about Nagy last year lingered throughout this season. He gave up play calling for this past Monday's game against the Vikings. And. you know, say what you want about laser and, and the game that he called, but it was still Nagy's plays if you want to be pessimistic and find a way to blame him for it anyway. And uh, it just um, – I don't know, man. I mean, let, let's get into it because what do you think is hurting the offense more than anything? Because it's kind of like the chicken or the egg with, with the offense. And, you know, the, there are multiple sides to it, but it's like – is it the play calling? Is it the execution? You know, I mean, I know that sometimes it can be both. So there
1: is a fun little option to throw in there. But
0: it's like, where where do you come down on this kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think it, with everything in football, right? And, and I know you weren't saying this, but it's important to make sure we're clear that it's never one thing. It's right. not just the quarterback play struggling or it's not just the offensive line being bad or it's not just the play calling it's it's always a combination of those things but in terms of what i think has been ailing this offense most consistently throughout i don't see it necessarily as play calling but i do think it's offensive coaching that how many times do we see this team fail to execute or execute in the in the wrong ways like even this past week against the vikings we're 10 weeks into the season and you still have guys running the same routes into each other, where they're supposed to run two different routes. They both run the same route thinking it's their route, but they are both end up doing the exact same thing. And it's like that is like preseason level. You work that out. to Everyone should know their responsibility on the play and what they have to do and where you're supposed to go running downfield. And still, we saw it like two or three times against the Vikings, including in the red zone, where they could have had a potential touchdown elsewhere had two players not been running in the same spot. So, like, they can't even... Execute the plays that are being called for them, let alone whether or not they're a good play being called We still haven't even been able to see the play calls always being executed at such a high level And like we see them terrible blocking any kind of screen out to the outside oh, I mean, God, don't. It, It's yeah. for me. It's like it is player execution But I blame coaching for that lack of player execution because these are talented guys I mean Allen Robinson is a very good receiver. We've seen Darnell Mooney is very good. D- David Montgomery has talent some of these tight ends are talented even if they're not elite players. And I know the offensive line stuff I don't necessarily blame on coaching when you have so many injuries in COVID, but it just seems like across the board offensively guys aren't in the best position to be successful. They're sloppier than they've ever been before. There are these penalties that I always tend to blame on coaching as far as discipline goes. And guys, they just don't know the offense. It just doesn't seem like they're being well coached to be in the best positions to be successful. Do you think it's going to cost him his job? I think it does depend on just how badly everything goes. I, I don't know. It's hard to sense the McCaskey appetite during a pandemic to make these changes, especially <laughs> financially, you know, to, you're still going to have to pay out the rest of their contracts for the most part for the coach and GM. So do they want to fork up the cash if the league revenues are going to be down a little bit and the new GM is going to come in with a limited salary cap? Like They may just want one more year of that consistency, especially if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace can maybe come up with a plan and say, hey, we'll get... Alex Smith. This off season, he knows the off. You know, like one more, like r- one more potential solution type plan to run it all back one more time before this window closes. But if I were in charge, I, I don't know that I would.
0: They're not making a great case, that's for sure. I mean, r- Ryan Pace is scrambling to try to find somebody to bring that kind of spark. Like we we claimed a new punt returner off of waivers uh, today. Super Bowl, yeah. We we brought uh you know, Deshaun Kaiser in for a tryout <laughs> this week. It's like oof. That's the state of the franchise right yeah. there. Yeah. You remember Deshaun Kaiser week one twenty eighteen? Yeah, that's that's how Khalil Mack introduced himself to the world as a bear. Uh was Deshaun Kaiser. You know, he <laughs> Khalil Mack made his career
1: on Deshaun Kaiser that first game of the season, twenty eighteen. <laughs> Hey, he got a different quarterback from the 2017 draft, Larry. That's what everybody wants.
0: That's you know what. And the funny thing is, I actually wanted Deshaun Kaiser. Oh, whoops. Uh, well, because I didn't. It, it, and the, here, go, here goes another real thing, real quick. Was 27? Because I posted this on Twitter. Maybe you saw it. I know that we need a quarterback. Obviously, Nick Foles isn't the answer. We're probably most likely 99 percent moving on from Mitch after this season unless something miraculous happens in the next six weeks. I don't want us making the same mistake we made in 2017. My beef with the Bears taking Trubisky had nothing to do with Mitch himself and everything to do with the football team that we had around him going into 2017. Okay, And I don't think the Bears, because we've proven it in our history, year in and year out, we're not that team that can pick the quarterback and then build the team around him. we got to put the team together first, and the quarterback is the missing piece. Uh, Or at least, you know, that's my opinion anyway. So I wanted us to get, like, Jamal Adams in the first round and then maybe see about getting, uh, you know, like a Deshaun Kaiser or somebody like that in the second round. That's kind of how I want It's like if we're going to do a quarterback, not with the top pick, there isn't any because I didn't want Watson. And I didn't know enough about Mahomes to to say yay or nay on him. So it's like I guess I would like Trubisky because he's more of the pro style. I thought Watson was going to be Vince Vince Young 2.0, like give him a you know a great season maybe two, then the NFL figures him out and he's he's persona non grata and out of the league in before his rookie contract is up. He's proven me wrong. God bless him. But that's my that was my thought on Watson going into it. And I didn't certainly didn't want us to give up the number three pick in the draft. For Jimmy Garoppolo so you know it's like don't pick a quarterback pick somebody else pick take Jamal I was in love with Jamal Adams I wanted us to take Jamal Adams and um you know maybe see about a second you know a quarterback in the second round or or something like that I don't want us making the same mistake it's certainly with where we're probably going to be picking in the first round we're most likely
1: going to have to move up to get anybody worth having in next year's draft and not to hang on this for too long, but like, it, would you rather, you know, trade for Sam Darnold or Alex Smith or, you know, I mean, it's there's not a good, yeah. there's not a good option that there's, feels good. There it's yeah, really, a tough
0: there really spot. are no good options out there. I mean, and I introduced that question over the summer was if you had to do it all over again, would you still pick Mitch or would you stick it out another year with Jay Cutler? Because... Cutler was under contract through like through 2018. We 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 finally got clear of his guarantees, and that's when we let him go. But he could have been our quarterback again in 2017, possibly in 2018, and figured it out the quarterback position from there.
1: Yeah, and of course, like the you'd have to take back the whole Mike Glennon thing, which I might just. I might just pick that anyway, <laughs> I think, like, by default, I'll take the, uh, yeah, I'll take the J-Color option versus not the Mike Glennon and Mitch Trubisky option in, in hindsight, but again, you know, you, like, look at the 2018 draft, and Sam Darnold goes to the top of that, Josh Allen of the Bills is finally starting to look pretty good, but then Josh Rosen at the top of that draft, and it wasn't until, like, Lamar Jackson at 32, but that took a whole sort of commitment to Lamar that I don't think he would be the same Lamar Jackson in Chicago, so right. it's like... Pick your poison in either direction. On if you if you don't get Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, then you're kind of screwed either way.
0: Right, and you know what? To tell you the truth, I don't blame Ryan Pace for Mike Glennon. He gets so much heat for it. I don't blame Mike. I don't blame him for Mike Glennon. You know who I blame for Mike Glennon? Us, us as Bear fans. We were sick of Jay Cutler, and we were just we wanted somebody else to be back there. We just wanted. Somebody that wasn't Jay Cutler to be our starting quarterback. We our cup runneth over with Jay, and we were like basically celebrated when Mike Lennon came to town, and because he wasn't Jay Cutler, you know, it was like it would just feel like you know Pace tied his hands, and he 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 went ahead and got Mike Glennon, and everyone kind of was like, all right, well, great, no more Jay Cutler, let's move on, it's done, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't, I, you know, everyone kind of counts on him counts of the Mike Lennon move because it was a disastrous move. However. I don't blame him for it because if, if I'm Ryan Pace in 2017, I'm hanging on to Jay Cutler. I'm not giving up Mike Glennon because Cutler's salary going into that year wasn't going to be so cumbersome. I think we actually paid Glennon more to come in than we would have had to pay Cutler in that season. So it's just like I would have held on to Jay.
1: I really would have. And, and let's not forget the John Fox part of this equation, both yes. in, in terms of maybe wanting Mike Glennon, but also – knowingly drafting a rookie quarterback with a lame duck head coach like no everyone knew john fox was mike glenn was being signed not because he was going to be the long-term john fox job saver it was really just kind of a a one-year last-ditch effort thing that was just destined but we knew john fox was probably gonna get fired after that year and they still i understand when you're picking that high you kind of have to feel like you have to take the quarterback if you can i mean there's there's a lot of different dynamics here but another what part of the equation where maybe you keep Jay Cutler for a year and then you fire Fox and fire Cutler, you, you hire Matt Nagy or you get your new coach and let that new coach pick his quarterback and then yeah. they're tied together and not Nagy inheriting Trubisky and then at first, you know, they were seeming like Nagy loved Trubisky and now it's pretty clear that Trubisky is not Nagy's guy and maybe never was.
0: Right. Yeah. So let's go back to that moment um because – I was ready for Trubisky to be taken off the field and buried under the stadium at halftime of the Lions game um, because it was just, I had no patience for it. I was done. We watched him struggle like this throughout all of 2019. I'm not doing it again. I absolutely am not doing it again. You know, not throughout this whole season. Get him out now. Just get him out. I'm done. You know, this is my basically my summer summer summary of my halftime knee jerk reaction for the first game of the season. That's it. I'm done. Okay. We could have had a touchdown with Cole Komet. He throws it behind Cole Komet when Cole Komet was running parallel to him. Why did you throw it that way? You know, and then he was doing that thing where he wouldn't run. He kept hanging around behind the line of scrimmage, waiting for getting people to get open as opposed to using those legs of his to get yards that we need and extend drives. He, like, every decision that he made was the opposite of what I wanted him to do in that first half, and I was just done, you know. But they stick with it. Fourth quarter happens. Great. Great start against the Giants. Peter's out in the second half. You know, luckily we stuck, out, stuck it out and, and won that game. Then same thing. First half of the Falcons game was like the first half of the Lions game all over again. You know, and then a few minutes into the third quarter, he throws that pick six. Nagy pulls the trigger seemingly out of nowhere because that was the last thing I was expecting was to see Nick Foles take the field. Uh, you know, after the Falcons kicked that field
1: goal, did you agree with the timing of it? Were you surprised? Because I was. Yeah, no, I was definitely surprised too. It just, it, it spoke to just how strange of kind of everything was going on with that offense, kind of at the same time. Like it just. I didn't understand a lot of the decision-making process up to that point, and like like you said, it's just like the timing was just so strange. I I didn't understand.
0: Yeah, because when I saw Foles on the field, I was like, "Wait, really? Like now we're doing it?" I mean, it's just okay, you know, fine. All right, let's let's see what happens. I guess, you know. But it's like even after that moment, like yeah, he threw. Well, it wasn't a pick six. He actually, um, he actually saved a touchdown. Yeah, uh, by making the tackle mitch did but you know he saved the touchdown they kicked the field goal that ends up being the difference in the game We won 30 to 27 those points won us the game the one the, the points that mitch saved god bless him but it's like i was not expecting that i really wasn't i was expecting mitch to come out for the next drive and instead it's the visor wearing nick Foles that comes off the sideline uh leads the team right down the field and then that uh that uh, touchdown that was taken out of Robinson's hands. Um, God, he had a real bad habit of that early on in the season. Yeah, was it was like balls
1: back, ripped out of his hands, man. Back to back games, wasn't it? Where just throw him up a jump ball and. Wasn't couldn't it like come three out, in was... a row? Because he did it against Tampa Bay. Well, actually, yeah. Tampa Bay,
0: he kicked the ball out of his own hands. But <laughs> three games in a row, he gave the ball to the defense. Just essentially like, here, you take it, kind of thing. <laughs> So, but, you know, he like right down the field, we should have scored a touchdown instead. You know, Robinson can't win the the battle in the end zone. They give the ball to to Atlanta. But it was just like, yeah, that looked better than anything Mitch had done today. And And, and, so we're off to to some extent.
1: Yeah. To some extent, like when Foles comes in and puts together that mostly the fourth quarter. I mean, he did a little bit in the third quarter, but most of that fourth quarter, it sort of was it set the expectation for Foles, or maybe confirm the expectation we already had that if you're going to pull Trubisky at that point, you're putting in Foles because he is, going, he is supposed to be the better quarterback and is going to not necessarily fix everything in your offense but take your offense to another level because, again, Trubisky hadn't technically been playing losing football even if he had been struggling. So it was like when Foles comes in and plays like that and pulls off the comeback, it's like, okay. Now this is what the expectation is going to be. This offense is going to click like that with this quarterback that has a little bit of a better understanding of the offense, a little bit easier time reading defenses, a little bit smarter in terms of the football IQ and execution standpoint. All right, this is what it's going to be. And it didn't really last that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought that that – I mean, I didn't think we were going to come out and start rattling off 30-point games or anything like that. But I thought that we definitely had something that was missing – especially in when we were listening to post-game interviews and you and you hear Foles tell the story about telling Anthony Miller to run to the L in the end zone. Yes. It was like, that is not something you would have ever heard come out of Mitch's mouth. Like, hey, if there's a blitz, run to the L in the end zone, the ball will be there. And I'll be damned if that's not exactly where the ball landed. You know, he told Anthony Miller to run to the L in the end zone and Anthony Miller is there and catches the football for the game-winning touchdown. It was just like... That's the difference between what we've been enduring and what we've got, you know, ahead of us now. That this is a guy that can see the field, that he you know, kind of like a chess player who can see five moves ahead. That's kind of the vibe you got from that statement. Was like he knew and he could see what was going to happen when the play got called. Before they even broke the huddle, before he even saw what the coverage was going to be. If there's a blitz, run to the L in the end zone, the ball will be there. Boom, it was. Bears win. The most unlikely three
1: and O team in the league, and it was supposed to really kind of be a turning point where yeah. the you know the offense around Trubisky was more or less playing well. I mean, relatively speaking, the the running game was better. I mean, it was it was working much more than it has since then. And yeah. you know, Darnell Mooney was starting to flash some things. Alan Robinson was still pretty good. The offensive line was healthy at that time. I wouldn't say they were. Stellar, but it's like it was a passable offensive line, a passable running game, a decent group of receivers, and it was like, okay, you're making this quarterback change because quarterback is the one thing that needs to really improve here. Foles comes in, plays well at first, and that that was supposed to be it. Like that was supposed to be, again, like you said, not scoring 35 points a game, but put this group over the top and take what was a lucky 3-0 and team and make them actually as good as their record suggested.
0: Yeah, and then the following week against Indianapolis – it's where we kind of got the first sense of the offensive line reverting back to their 2019 form, where all of a sudden on third and one, you know, we've got guys getting shoved into the backfield, uh, you know, our running back can't even, he's barely got the hand off before he's getting hit for the first time. And it's basically been downhill from there uh, as far as the offensive line uh, is concerned. You know, it's just like it, it was the, the the like the Colts beat us up in the trenches in that game. You know, this was also where they were rushing four and dropping seven, which is why Foles could never find anybody open because them dr- rushing, they, they were getting home with four on every single pass play. So they didn't have to bring anybody else. There was no hot read for Foles to, to get or anything like that. It was just the front four. Beating the crap out of our offensive line, winning a four-on-five battle every single time, and you know, I, I, I you know, call me crazy, but it's almost like our offensive line lost its confidence because they really haven't played
1: a solid end-to-end game since then. And even at the time, you remember it was like, well, the Colts' defense is really good. Yes. I mean, and they, they're they're a really good defense. and we weren't like totally convinced that this was a sign of what's to come and it was maybe more just like all right there they weren't going to be game dominators every day you know every game they were going to have some off times and it wasn't super clear that this was going to be that direct downturn there but I believe it was the very next game that James Daniels gets hurt against yep. the Buccaneers and and that's when it really I mean you're, you're right that the Colts was sort of like the beginning of again the, the first sign of real problems there and then you start adding the injury on that then the covid on that and it's yeah it's off a cliff
0: right because we faced like in back-to-back weeks two of the two of the the best run defenses in football in indianapolis and tampa bay it's like okay so we're probably going to have some issues running the ball but it's like then we played like the 26th rush defense in carolina and ran the ball worse than we did the previous week against tampa bay and it's been downhill ever since it's gone back from like the first three weeks of the season where David Montgomery could actually get about three or four yards past the line of scrimmage before first contact. Whereas now he's back to 2019 where he's got some of the most, you know, dugout gritty, you know, fake this move, break this tackle two yard runs, uh, you know, like he did last year where he's just being suffocated. The second he's got the ball uh, in his hands and, you know, it's super frustrating to – to. I mean, I feel terrible for the kid. He's not going to – he's not a breakaway, like he's not going to leave people in the, dust, in the dust, but he's definitely somebody that if you give him that, you know, like Gail Sayers said in that, you know, famous video back in the day, 18 inches of daylight, that's all I need. You give him the daylight, he'll make things happen for you. I mean, look at that one play that he ran uh, against the Saints, uh, that big, you know, 30-something-yard run or whatever it was. You know, get him past that first level, he can make things happen for us, and we just can't, we just don't for the kid. You know, I, I feel terrible for him.
1: Yeah, and it hasn't mattered who's been back there. No. And it's just been, it's been an issue across the board. And you know, it kind of reminded me too that as, as I was looking through some of these games, that same timing with the offensive line declining, and certainly most notable in the running game, but it it coincided with the decline from Allen Robinson too. That a Falcons game was like 123 yards, and another hundred yard game against the Colts, and even against the Buccaneers, it was ten catches for ninety yards. And then from there, he hasn't been terrible, but he just he hasn't had that offensive production as the rest of the passing game hasn't had that same production. And it's really it's it's fascinating for me how everything else deteriorated, you know, along with the offensive line. It feels like the sloppiness got even worse, the passing game yeah. got worse, Foles got worse, and we don't have a, a perfect explanation for any of it.
0: Yeah, same as last year. You know, <laughs> same as last yep. year where we just. You know, different things went wrong in different ways in different games. So it's not like there was – and that's why we all kind of dreaded the off season and the moves that Ryan Pace had to make. I don't think anybody envied him going into this year because it's like if if it was you, what would you fix? Because all of it was bad this year. So what would you fix? You know, what would you go out and do? And, you know, would you, you go out and retool the offensive line or do you bring in a brand-new offensive line – coach a different scheme maybe easier for the guys to understand you know that kind of thing it's just the what he could have done and what he did do you know it was like who's who knows how it's going to work out because of what we looked like on offense last year there really is nowhere to go but up and famous last
1: words you know yeah that's what it felt like but you know with, with pays not to get off topic but like what he did do, like you said, at the time, it was like, okay, maybe Robert Quinn could be a pretty good upgrade over Leonard Floyd, oh, man, and maybe was... maybe Jimmy Graham could be a big weapon for this offense. Those were kind of his two big free agent moves, and Graham's been good in the red zone, but yep. uh, not not much else besides that, and obviously Robert Quinn is the whole thing. So, yeah, Ryan Pace couldn't fix everything in the off season, but the, ones, the, the things he tried to fix definitely were uh, mixed results at best.
0: He's still nailing those fifth-round picks, though.
1: Oh, 100 percent!
0: I don't know what the hell it is about this guy in the fifth round, but <laughs> he's nailed it in pretty much every single draft. He's done for the Bears. It's re- it's remarkable.
1: So it's a, a big part of what might keep him his job. You maybe. know the way he's been able to find those late round picks and some of these weird free agent pickups that play. You know, like the Mario Edwards and Brent Urbans that we talked about. The the no name guys signed late, even to Sean Gibson playing pretty well for a veteran minimum contract. Like yeah. Somehow Ryan Pace kind of finds those and makes it hard to completely overlook the first-round pick failures and the big-name free agent failures, which would, you'd think would carry a little bit more weight. You'd think. You'd
0: think. But, um, um, yeah. I mean, it's just
1: it, – it's so
0: frustrating, Lauren.
1: <laughs> How many years have we been having that same conversation of oh, where man. halfway through you go – it's so frustrating, Lord. Like, I feel like I've heard you say that every six months for the last three or four years. Probably, yeah.
0: I I wouldn't doubt that, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that the last time that, like, during one of these shows was, like, in 2018, where it's, like, we were coming off the Trubisky game going into the bye. The six touchdowns versus Tampa Bay. It's like, what were we complaining about then? I think the only (laughs) thing we were complaining about was, like, damn, we don't, we don't want to be on a bye right now. We're yeah. playing too well. Mitch just had his epiphany game. You know, I don't want this guy taking a break. I want him out on the field bouncing off of that, you know, to hell with giving him a break and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. I want him out there, you know, with the momentum. You know, give us another two, three weeks before we send this team on the bye. You know, I think that was our chief complaint going into that, uh, you know, four games and then the bye after a 48-10 to 10 thrashing of the – of the Buccaneers, you know, where he throws five touchdowns in the first half. You know, like, come on. We, we don't want to be on the bye right now. That, that was and, probably our biggest complaint there.
1: And how quickly we forget that – you know, this coaching staff and even a lot of these same I mean not a lot of these same offensive players, but some of these same offensive players were the same team that won five in a row that year and I think nine out of ten and the one loss in there was the Giants, where I believe Chase Daniels played because of the Trubisky injury, if I yeah, remember right.
0: That is absolutely correct. So yes.
1: I mean otherwise maybe you're talking about a ten game winning streak to end that season and a thirteen and three finish instead of twelve and four. Obviously Eagles game is a different conversation, but We've seen this coaching staff and a lot of these same offensive players be capable of some very good things. Obviously, the defense was a big part of that 2018 team, but they're starting to play this year a lot closer to that 2018 defense. And yet, yeah. same head coach, not the same quarterback, but a lot of the same offensive pieces and similar kind of system just stopped working.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess they just figured Nagy out. I mean, that's yeah. really all that I can can ascertain is that how it could just fall off a cliff the way that it did. You know, for us to be as productive and competitive as we were. Because, you know, one of the things that I hated so much about losing that Eagles game, and I said it a thousand times, was I was not ready. I was not done watching that team play. You know, they were so much fun to watch. The games were so exciting. You know, we were so ultra competitive in those games that, you know, we should have run the table, man. We really should have. And it just didn't happen. And then that's why we're all so excited about 2019. This team, everybody's coming back. We're, you know, we're full steam ahead. Let's go ahead and do it. And then week one against the Packers happened. And that's where, you know, it all has gone sideways from (laughs) there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you you watch this team play and you can't really figure out what what happened. You know, what happened to this team? Uh, Just... You know, we we were healthier than most teams for most of the season and we were winning. Um, We haven't been much worse in the injury department, but we've gone off a cliff as far as our production uh, on offense, man. I mean, we thought the offensive line was bad before. You know, now it founds out that our depth is awful. And can you explain to me? Can you explain? Because I know you watched the All 22s. Why is Rashad Coward out there? Can you explain that to me? Because I can't, for the life of me, figure it out.
1: Well, I guess who else are you going to play at right tackle? If, when Jason Spriggs was sidelined, I know like he was technically back last week, but he was also battling with an injury, so maybe they felt like he just wasn't, like he could pinch hit in an emergency. Here's the thing with that, Lauren. Here's the thing with that. If
0: Spriggs plays, then Bars is on the bench and Coward's the left guard. Why? You know, why? Rashad Coward has not done one thing in the five games that he's been out there that tells me he deserves to keep getting put back out there. Instead, we keep moving him around, finding a spot for him to be. You know, like, I just can't figure out why they keep trotting his ass out there.
1: I know originally Matt Nagy said, you know, we're kind of basing it on body of work, and because Coward had played in the offense last year poorly at right guard, I mean, not this awful, but not great either, that – they at least had some tape on him and could feel like they could work with that more so than Alex Bars, who had very, very little experience. But I, I don't have a good answer for you. And it was one of my big concerns heading into the season that the offensive line depth as a whole was light, and that's yeah. really been exposed over the last three, four weeks.
0: But I mean, and that's where I, I get confused because when James Daniels got hurt, Alex Bars was the first guy off the bench, not Rashad Coward. So we go to the Carolina game. Now Coward's out there, and Bars is like, "What happened?" You know. And then you know Rashad Coward spends the game getting killed, and damn near got uh, Nick Foles killed. That one stupid interception that Foles threw uh, was basically because <laughs> the guy that Rashad Coward was supposed to be blocking was bearing down uh, on Foles. So he, you know, one of those desperate heaves that he throws out there, and you know, the next thing you know, we're giving the ball back on a consecutive play. Uh, there. Just like I could never wrap my head around why we keep putting him back out there.
1: Tinfoil hat theory for you here. Um, Alex Barr's was coached by Harry Heestand and is therefore the favorite child of the ex offensive line coach. So the new offensive line coach doesn't want to play him because that's the old guy's thing. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give him the same attention. I'm going to coach up my guy. Rashad Coward is going to be, I'm going to show you guys that I can coach this kid up better than Heestand could coach up that Notre Dame kid. God help me if it's something that petty. <laughs> hey, God I God help hope me. A 55 year old offensive line coach or 60 year, however yeah. old he is. It's a little bit more adult and mature than that. But yeah, tinfoil hats.
0: That Juan Castillo, who's had success across the league uh, in, in, his, in, his, uh, in his several stops, would not be that.
1: Well, what's more confounding for me, or what's been more frustrating for me, is how the team just didn't bring in anybody for a while on yeah. that offensive. No, I mean, no, they still on the active roster don't have anybody that wasn't there week one. I mean, Arlington, Arlington Hambright was a practice squad player, but they drafted him this offseason. Like, they still have not actually signed on an offensive lineman. I mean, I think they they called up a guard a couple of weeks ago when they just needed somebody from the practice squad who was technically outside the organization. But we've seen quality offensive lineman available. They finally brought in Eric cush like last week yeah. and elevated him for the game. But it was like a month after James Daniels gets hurt, we finally see them bring in some sort of veteran with experience. Like what what do you, they have cap space? They have roster spot. I don't know what they're waiting for.
0: Yeah, cuz there was I forget who it was, that guy from that the Buffalo Bills uh in Spain I think. Yeah. Steve Wisniewski became available. He could be a good option for us on in the interior. Ted Larson like was out there. Yeah, the, whole, the whole time. Eric Cush yeah.
1: was out there the whole time, and they waited a month to bring him in. Yeah, what's Bradley Soule up to?
0: I mean, I'm sure that he's been sitting around putting some weight back on to not be selling a, insurance. A stupid tight end again. God, that was a bad move. But um,
1: you know, he is a free agent. Okay. According to Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> okay. hasn't been anywhere since he left the Bears last year. Right.
0: The Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online knows you might not be able to get out to a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head on over to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the BearStock Underground also comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision, precision-engineered precision tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Undrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up. And get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. And I'm talking, of course, about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin safe technology, so this trimmer cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0 which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free and smelling nice down there. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls, that's just nasty. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why aren't you putting it on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, your balls do stink. Speaking of sweaty, stinky balls, (laughs) I am thankful for their Crop Reviver. This product, along with the Crop Preserver, keep your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And... (laughs) Boy, they really paint a really great picture of what's going on down there, don't they? And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The perfect package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day long. It's time to upgrade those uh, overused pair of boxers and Manscaped high-performance anti-chafing boxers. Tis the season to manscape, to get yourself, your dad, your brother, your friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Once again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Your balls will thank you. And with that, let's get back to the show. <coughs> Well, I mean, so we've we've basically got a season that's been in, in you know these first ten games is divided into two halves. You had the four and one start and the one and four finish, and for the second year in a row, the Bears are on a four game losing streak. Uh, we did this last year, which we called the month of October uh, last year. So we, we waited until deeper into the season to have our four game losing streak our four game losing streak took us from three and one to three and five last year this year it was five and one to five and five and we've got green bay on the back end of this bye week on sunday night football and i'm getting mark Tressman
1: nightmares all over again it doesn't it feel like that i mean that's really what it feels like we're we're building up to that like yeah. with especially i mean it's green bay it's the Bears under Matt and Aggie have been really bad after the bye week and everything is already trending down so poorly. Like I, it's hard to find a lot of reasons to be optimistic in yeah. any way. I mean, you know, like the Vikings and Titans were supposed to be opponents in terms of quality of defense and where their defensive strengths and weaknesses were and even some of their offensive strengths and weaknesses that were supposed to play into some of the Bears' strengths. Yeah. Like they should be able to run the ball against those teams and their second you know the secondaries of both of those teams have really had a lot of injuries and been weak, so the Bears should have been able to pass the fine and their pass rushes have been terrible. Like it was supposed those were supposed to be sort of the, the get right defenses for the Bears. And then as long as the Bears defense could do its job, there's a formula to win there. But Packers don't have that luxury. And if the Bears are going to play that poorly against the Vikings and to a lesser extent the Titans, then I don't know how they're supposed to do anything against green Bay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically, you said it all. Number one, we, we generally suck against green Bay. They've got our number and had had our number for years. Um, and the defense is due for a poor performance or a, a less than stellar, uh, performance. And we know what our offense, uh, is capable of. And, as I've stated several times in my knee-jerk reactions, uh, like going into the fourth quarter, nothing we've done up to this point says that, you know, we're gonna we're capable of what we need to do here. Uh, you know, usually it's me saying nothing we've done in the first three quarters says we've got a fourth quarter comeback in us. And nothing that we've done up to this point says that we're going to stand a chance in Green Bay next Sunday. I, I just... I, I dread it. I honestly dread the game. I dread it because I just <laughs> – I'm not looking forward to it at
1: all. I really am not. It's going to take some of that weird Bears-Packers magic. Yeah. You know, like, it, it does feel like, especially in the last, like, three or four years, like, the Packers offense almost never really has a ton of success against this Bears defense. I mean, it's always lately been an ugly – Aaron I'm not necessarily an ugly Aaron Rodgers performance he's not throwing five picks or anything but like they've been a lot better at stifling Aaron Rodgers than they were earlier you know in the like in the later lovey days and in the Tressman days certainly and the John Fox days like Rodgers seemed like he had figured out the Bears offense a little bit but now we've seen some of those more uglier sort of Packers offensive performances as a whole where they struggle a little bit to get in the end zone so like you know maybe you hope for some of that and if you can get a Another Cordero Patterson touchdown and maybe a pick six fumble recovery for a touchdown. You win 17 14 off of no offensive points. I mean, that's that's about your formula for success at this point.
0: Yeah, and that's basically the only way we've really beaten Green Bay in the last several years. Like John Fox's, you know, his, his peak as a head coach of the Bears was that Thanksgiving game yep. uh, against Green Bay. We got two picks off of Aaron Rodgers in that game. Thank you, uh, Tracy.
1: Uh, I was going to say Tracy Morgan or Tracy Parker, but it's not. Porter. Porter. Porter.
0: Tracy Porter. Yeah. God bless him. Um, you know, and we. I think we also got a fumble out of Eddie Lacy in that game uh, as well. So, like, the Packers kind of, you know, helped us along uh, in that one. But it was a 17-13 to 13 game, and we still had to stop them on four tries inside the 10 in order to win that game. I mean – you know, pardon me for saying, but my asshole was you so tight during those four downs, <laughs> you couldn't have driven a nail in with a sledgehammer, you know? It's just like I could not relax at all until the ball hit the ground on fourth down. I was so tense waiting for Rodgers to just win the game on one play like we all knew he was going to, you know? But it's just like it's it's always been those kind of games that we tend to win where usually the Packers lose the game more than the Bears win it and it's going to take another performance like that where kyle fuller rattles off a couple of interceptions or maybe eddie jackson finally figures out how to uh you know be 2018 eddie jackson uh again i completely agree with you by your way your assessment on uh on your show about him being overrated this year um I would have put him down for biggest disappointment of twenty twenty
1: or did you even over Robert Quinn? That was a tough one for me. Yeah,
0: you're right. You're I mean, right. Robert Quinn, because like Eddie Jackson hasn't been
1: god awful. He just hasn't been very good. But like Robert Quinn is, he has that one sack in week two, and that's yeah. been about it. You know, I don't like, know,
0: man. Eddie Jackson's tackling has been so awful, especially yeah. in the last few weeks. It's it would have been a it would have been a coin flip for me as far as disappointment. Uh, goes,
1: but the, um, the one thing I forgot about too after I, I finished recording was that against the Panthers, Eddie Jackson did have a pick six that was called back. And if if that stands, I wonder if my even my even thinking of Eddie Jackson's talent and, and performance this year is not improved a little bit too because that that's that's well, a pretty got, big swing. He got
0: hosed in the Giants game too.
1: Yeah, so I mean, to to his credit, he has had a couple of those moments that. We it's easy to forget about because they didn't count in the stat sheet, but has done some things. But yeah, the missed tackles have been just pathetic and horrendous. He's, some of his angles coming downhill yeah. have just been weird too. It's uncharacteristic for Eddie Jackson. Yeah, yeah,
0: especially for a guy. You know, it, it it almost like he's he's trying not to get hurt or something with with some of the angles that he takes, or you know, or he always seems to lose the battle on the going for the ball instead of making the tackle mm-hmm. choice. You know, he always seems to pick the wrong time to do that. It's like the guy's already run for 15 yards. Just tackle him already. Forget trying to get the football from him. Oh, uh, What's five more? <laughs> yeah, well, what's five or seven or eight or nine while he drags, you know, while Kyle Rudolph drags somebody for nine more yards? Yeah, well, yeah. you know, big deal. What's the difference between being outside the 40 to inside the 30? No big deal, right?
1: So, yeah, they they could use a, an Eddie Jackson performance against oh, for the sure. Green Bay Packers. Yeah,
0: and it would be a hell of a time for it to, for it to show up. So, but it's like this is a team, and that's what made Monday's victory so disheartening. Was it was a team that was in need of a spark. It was a team in need of a boost, and we got it with Patterson's kickoff return. I mean, Lauren, you saw the sideline during that game. Oh yeah, during that return, everybody grown men jumping up and down they're skipping around like school kids and stuff like that dancing on the sidelines they that was it was almost like this you know this weight being lifted almost. you know the defense goes out they get the ball back for the offense and then the Dwayne Harris moment happens and it sucked all the, the oxygen right out of the stadium again because the offense never got a chance to see if they could build on the momentum. Uh, Or anything like that. And the game flipped in that moment because the defense had to hold again. And then the offense went on a three play, (laughs) three drives for negative five yards for the third quarter after the Dwayne Harris muff. You know, it was just like we were in because I was just, I was so happy when that moment happened. Not only because, you know, it was, we just, we, we needed it. I'd been talking about it for weeks on my show we need something to rally around something to get boost whether it's you know eddie jackson with a long touchdown return or something like that uh whatever it is just something that you could see the team respond to and they weren't went bananas when when patterson ran that kickback they went nuts man it's like that's it that's the moment there it is right there we go ahead and we take the lead, you know. We've shut Dalvin Cook down twelve yards or twelve carries for thirty-two yards at halftime. We got this kid's number, man. He's not going to do anything. We we got him, and then that Dwayne Harris thing happened, and it was just like pfft, all over with. It was like it just ended as quickly as it started. And
1: if that wasn't going to turn things around, nothing is. You know, what I mean? like, yeah. at least in the middle of a game like that, like that, like you, like you said. I mean, they the, the hope. Was like if they could just get a spark, then that could be what shakes them out of this funk or yeah. whatever, however you want to call it. And they got it, and it didn't matter. And I don't even think like yes, the Dwayne Harris fumble took the wind out of the room for sure, but like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be enough to undo whatever energy they got from the kickoff Oh, You're right? absolutely
0: right. It, yeah, the, it the defense sh- it defense shouldn't held have been enough field goal right yeah. after that, right? I mean, yes, yeah, they it, did. It yeah, shouldn't so, have been enough, but unfortunately, it was. Yes. You know, that's the point.
1: And that's the problem. I mean, yeah. That's, that's what, that's where you're stuck with this team. And, and so, like, I think you only add on to that, that as we've talked a little bit about looking ahead to this Packers game, like, the whole Nick Foles injury just takes another amount of energy out of this team. Like, if they had to play a game again this week, I don't know that they would be, you know, at least now there's some hope that Foles could be back or Trubisky could be back. But, like, when the whole team is kind of shaken up by that injury with how serious it looked, even though it turns out it probably, wasn't nearly as bad as it looked, and he'll be avoiding injured reserve. Th- that can be the kind of thing that can really shake that confidence and that that sort of trust and that, that them not giving up. You know, it's like well, at least Foles is still out here fighting for us. But if they have to start Tyler Bray against the Green Bay Packers or Kyle Slaughter or heaven forbid Deshaun Kaiser, you know, like if that's if that's what they have to resort to due to injury at the quarterback spot, nobody's gonna be. I mean, Matt Nagy keeps praising the team for never giving up, but I don't know how you don't give up if that's your plan, that's your best option to face the Packers. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you know what really pisses me off, Lauren, is that we know as Bear fans, and this is our glass half-empty stance on the situation, but I go back to 2017, uh, week 10, where the Bears are coming off the bye, as usual, um they're coming off the bye they've got green bay at home and this is a aaron Rodgersless green bay led by um brett huntley
1: (laughs) out of the league brett huntley i think yeah that guy
0: uh i'm pretty sure he is out of the league actually arizona cardinals
1: backup oh is he okay so he followed
0: who did he follow i was gonna say he followed mccarthy but that McCarthy's in Dallas, so, for now, anyway.
1: Matt Flynn was once a Cardinals backup quarterback, too. It's the way of the former Packers backups.
0: There you go. But, you know, Brent Hundley comes in, and it's just like everything we could do wrong in that game, we did. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Fox challenging things. He had no business challenging, not challenging the things that he should have. And all of a sudden, in that game, we decide that Josh Bellamy is our deep threat. He's the one we're going to go... <laughs> Down the field, to on, on every other play when we've got a healthy Alshon Jeffrey on the field uh, as well. So, you know, Brent Huntley has the game of his life. The, you know, the the Packers win a game they had no business winning. And it just began the spiral for the Bears in the second half of 2017, all but sealing John Fox's fate. You know, why can't the Bears do that? Why can't it not matter that it's Tyler Bray out there because we're still the Bears. We're going to go out there. We're going to play our game. We're going to go ahead and win. And instead, it is the disaster that we expect it to be just about every single time.
1: Well, did you? what, what was your knee-jerk reaction to the, I guess, excluding the first pass attempt from Tyler Bray, the check down to Ryan Noddwood for 18 yards, the other four passes oh my that God. Tyler Bray took?
0: Well, you know what? When, when he came into the game, <laughs> I texted my buddy. Uh, my best friend in the world, Fritz, I told him, I was like, you know what? I've watched this guy play in the preseason. Tyler Bray's got a great arm. You know, he's got a really strong arm, but he's an accurate, he's about as accurate as a blind man. And when, as soon as I sent that text to him, is when he threw the ball in a different zip code <laughs> than where about- Cole Komet was supposed to be. You know, <laughs> so what was supposed close. to be fourth down he throws it into a different side of the field than Cole Komet was on. I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> oh, that was fourth down. That's the end of the game. Fantastic. I didn't even realize it. I was Tom Brady in that moment. I didn't realize it was fourth down when he threw that pass to Cole Komet because it was such an insignificant t- kind of play. The way that it was, the way he threw the ball, the way he was so far off target, he looked like he was throwing it away, like we had more downs to work with it's like oh no that's fourth down here comes Kirk Cousins and the Vikings to kneel on us and put us all out of misery here so it's just like you know like I understand what would happen if Tyler Bray was out there all I'm just saying is like I'm pissed off at the football gods that we can't ever have that Brent Huntley beats a team he's got no business beating game We, we haven't had one of those since like Craig Krenzel beat the Giants back in 2004 or something like that it's been that long since we've had, like, I, can you believe this guy won three
1: in a row? This guy? I can't believe it, you know? Well, I'm trying to remember. Did did Jason Campbell win one of those games when Jay Cutler was hurt? Like, I know he got, there was that, t- that tough one with the 49ers that year, or, like, Even before that, wasn't there a Todd Collins game against the Panthers where the Bears just kicked, like, five field goals and won a really ugly game? Like, they've gotten a couple of really crappy ones, but nothing miraculous by any means. No, Todd, the the Todd
0: Collins-Panther game was the one where he was, like, one for seven for ten yards, and Lovey ended up pulling him at the end of the game.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: He threw, like, four interceptions, and we won the game anyway. Because <laughs> Matt Forte ran for like 120 yards in the first quarter, and the Bears just protected the lead is basically what happened I, there. I was gonna
1: say I re- I remember them winning. I didn't think Todd Collins yeah. had a great game, but no, yeah, yikes! He, he threw I mean, like
0: that's... four picks, and whoever our third string quarterback was, our was playing by the end of the game. So yeah,
1: that's that's what we that's the best case scenario with Tyler Bray against the Green Bay Packers <laughs> is the Todd oh, Collins boy. game. So Can you I imagine. Mean, like, That guy with the scam of the century, Tyler Bray, has been in this Matt Nagy-Andy Reid offense for eight years. And after eight years, he comes out in the fourth quarter. I realize it's the fourth quarter, and he hasn't practiced. I mean, there's no reason for him to be good in that fourth quarter, but for him to be that bad after eight years. I mean, the dude is like 28 years old. has been around and thrown like four passes through his career, and he keeps coming back, and that's what you have to show for it. Yeah,
0: well I mean he's only he only has covid to thank for the fact that he's still on a roster to begin with. Yeah, that's, because he, I think yeah. he's burned up what used to be the old standard for practice squad like what 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 what, what guy, you know, the the games or the you know the lo- the time that he's logged in before he's no longer eligible to be a practice squad player. He only has covid to thank for the fact that he's still on a roster as a practice squad player now. So I think that just kind of explains what we've got to work with and why we brought in Kyle Slaughter and also Deshaun Kaiser. Cause maybe, maybe they're not great quarterbacks, but at least they can get it in the same time zone as the receiver uh, when they're
1: out on the field. So I don't, I don't know. Well, well, think, think about this, Larry, when, when, Ryan Pace came in. You know, he said, ideally, I'd like to draft a quarterback every year, and they've declined to do so except for Trubisky because they've had this guy, Tyler Bray, as their number three, and he's he's been that developmental quarterback for the last four or three or four years here. And here's what that development showed you. Yeah, yeah. Don't need to draft a quarterback. You got Tyler Bray. You're fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so looking at looking at these first ten games, what would you say is the like the highlight? Would it be the Thursday night win over? Over Tampa Bay, you know, we we did the come from behind thing a couple of times, you know, down thirteen to nothing. It was kind of a complete game, if if you will, you know, because Kyle Fuller with the with the hit and the fumble recovery, or the the hit and the fumble, then we got the recovery, boom, two plays later, Jimmy Graham crazy one handed catch in the back of the end zone. Bears are up fourteen thirteen at halftime. Uh, you know, they they the the Buccaneers get out ahead again. You know, defense has to shut them down. We get the ball back. Offense trots it down the field. Santos, who was one of the worst kickers in the league for Tennessee last year, we only brought him in to be a camp leg. For Eddie Panero, kicks a 51-yarder into the wind to win us the game. You know, is is that the peak for this team
1: this year, or, or I, was there a better moment? You think? I think, as a whole, that game was the peak. But I think the most, like the thing that felt the best. I thought was that Falcons victory just the way that the whole Anthony Miller throw to the L thing like there was yeah. so much like hope and optimism and excitement on top of that whereas I, I mean I, I still so like I think as a whole that Buccaneers game was the most encouraging overall I think that you felt I, like yeah, okay that's good yeah this, but in terms of like that like individual exciting moment like the high of that end of the Falcons game was probably in in a vacuum it's most exciting but for sure the Buccaneers game I think would be the overall highlight
0: Because, you know, as funny as it's been, we're talking about how bad this team is is and how it's been and and how difficult it's been watching the offense, the Bears felt legit after they beat Tampa Bay. You know, with the way that we we did beat them, the way that we won that football game, the come-from-behind thing, uh, our first win ever against Tom Brady in five or six tries, whatever it was, it just felt like the Bears were more of a legitimate team than a lucky team after that game. And, you know, we had a somewhat solid performance the following week against Carolina, which had its moments because we had James Daniels gone, so Rashad Coward's out there mucking up the works uh, and everything. But overall, it just felt like, you know, hey, dude, we're 4-1. We're and one. We just beat Tampa Bay. Nobody expected us to win this football game, even though we were at home and all that kind of stuff. I think the Bears felt more like a, le- like a legitimate team at
1: that point. Um than any other time during the season, especially when Tampa goes on the next week and stomps Green Bay, oh, you man. know what I mean. It was yeah. like, okay, the Bears just beat that team, and that team's pretty good. I mean, I know the NFL and parity and stuff is is all kind of a wash because you know the the Saints absolutely destroyed the Buccaneers a couple weeks ago out of nowhere, and it's it's weird season for sure. But like, it was it was even more validating immediately after that Buccaneers win to say that yeah, that Buccaneers team just beat the Packers, so therefore. The Bears are legitimately maybe the best team in the NFC North at that time yeah. and maybe the Packers aren't that good and the Vikings and Lions were struggling so it was like it was the peak of hope this season I think.
0: Yeah, maybe that's the best way to put it. And then here's a tough one cuz you got plenty of
1: choices. What's the what's the low point? It's you know like I want to say Los Angeles just because the game was so bad. Yeah. But even even at that point it wasn't like the Bears' fate felt sealed. Right. You know, it was just like, oh, that was a bad game. Yeah. They better not do that again. But then, of course, they did like three times. So for me, I kind of felt like Tennessee at this point just because of how bad that offensive line was. When you're starting Rashad Coward for the first time at right tackle, Alex Bars at center for the first time, and your rookie seventh-round pick Arlington Hambright, who was never supposed to even come close to the active roster this year, let alone the starting lineup, and the bucket and the Titans were a team that wasn't supposed to be able to pass rush against this offensive line. And the defense did so good at, at stopping Derrick Henry and making Ryan Tannehill fairly ineffective. Like it was all there, and it just they, they couldn't do anything. I mean, seven of those 17 points came from the fumble recovery for a right. touchdown. It was just it was bad. I mean, that was I know the Titans are a good team, so it, it's not quite the same. But but either that or Minnesota. I mean, they were both just awful. Yeah,
0: yeah I I would probably vote closer to Tennessee just because it's like – it it felt like if we stopped Derrick Henry, then we stopped the Titans, you know, because, you know, A.G. Brown's a good receiver, Tannehill's a good quarterback, but if they can't feed off of uh, – they can't feed off of Derrick Henry, they're pretty much a one-trick pony on offense, and that's been, you know, proven – you know, the Colts shut them down on, you know, last Thursday night uh, and everything. So I, I, w- I would lean to- more towards Tennessee then – Minnesota. Minnesota was on national TV, so that one stings uh, a bit more. But um, you know, it was it was definitely Tennessee, especially since that game didn't make sense at any point throughout. Okay, and then especially when you get to the end, and if if I took the final score or blacked it out on a piece of paper and I handed you the stat sheet, you tell me who won the game, the team that had 360 yards of total offense. Uh, the team that, uh, you know, or the team that had 12 first downs, that quarterback was 10 or 11 of 21 or for 158 yards, or the team with the quarterback that threw for two touchdowns, no picks, and, you know, 300-plus yards, and, you know, we won the time of possession battle and blah, 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 and yet it was the Titans. And not only did the Titans win, they kicked our ass. And you look at statistically – the the final score does not line up with how the stats ended up in that game it just it made no sense and then sitting there watching the football game was even more improbable
1: it yeah i remember like after it it just felt kind of like rock bottom like it didn't feel like offensively anything could get worse like yeah. and not that it was actually any better against the vikings but at least against the vikings you know you had the Cordero Patterson kickoff return touchdown. You had a lead in the second half yeah. like, against the Vikings, and that was kind of a new feeling. Like it was like sure, okay. Well, we so, scored like, in the third quarter, Lauren, for only the yeah. second time this year. And of course, neither time has been on offense, but still, it's <laughs> it's third quarter points because wasn't the other one a, a, t- a defensive touchdown?
0: No, no, no. It was uh, it, well, it was set up by a, by a turnover, but it was a David Montgomery run, I
1: believe. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right. But still, it's it was at least. I can't call it progress against the Vikings, but right. it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't know. I felt like against the Vikings, there were at least like a little bit of flashes of something, and against the Titans, they literally just couldn't move the ball. Yeah, you want to know how bad it was, Lauren?
0: Anyway. You want to know how bad it was? I bailed on the fourth quarter in the Tennessee game. Didn't
1: you didn't. Watch. You didn't see those exciting garbage time touchdowns. You know, I
0: had an excuse. <laughs> I had an excuse built in. I was. I was out of town visiting my. Uh, my family, uh, when I had some time off from work uh, that week, and uh, I was going to be having dinner with my mom on my way out of town to, to drive back uh, to Cedar Rapids. And um, apparently my mom's church service let out early, so instead of texting me towards the end of the fourth quarter, she was texting me almost right, bef- like midway point in the third quarter. you know. And in the third quarter, that's when the fumble return happened, and then literally the last play that I saw – it ended up getting reversed on on replay. Was Nick Foles getting the ball batted into the air and then intercepted by a defensive lineman? I was like, "That's it, I'm out, I'm out, I'm done." <laughs> Our best drive all day long ended on a on a on a you know a disastrous play like that. Like I'm done, I am done. So I just got up and I left, and you know was like I watched the highlights on NFL.com or something like that. But I did not watch the fourth quarter. I just I
1: couldn't do it. Well, you sure missed out on. Ryan Knoll's first career touchdown. That was what you missed out on. Yeah.
0: And Jimmy Graham scoring another pointless ends red zone touchdown. That was, yeah, I saw that as well. So <laughs> but um, so we got six games left, um, four division games, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Uh, two games with the Packers and one apiece with the Vikings and the lions and then we have the one win tex or excuse me the one win jaguars and the two win texans <sighs> what what do you what do you see as a final record here i mean can you even think about like i mean like we just don't know what, what what's going to happen in these 6 weeks and i know that you'd be able to say that no matter what what kind of team we have but s- seriously what do you think is going to happen over the next 6 weeks cuz i honestly don't i don't have a clue
1: yeah uh... You never know with these quarterbacks what you're going to get at this point. Like, in theory, Foles could play better than what we saw the last couple of weeks. Like, he we've seen better play from Foles earlier this year, and if, there's also a possibility that Trubisky could take back over and spark a little bit something with his legs. Not that it's going to be pretty offensively, but he could win you some games. Like, I don't know. I think the Bears are capable of beating the Lions and should beat the Texans. And, and I the guess, Jaguars. given how well, the Jaguars just played the Packers pr- particularly yeah, tight for some did. reason. Like, scares you a little bit. And, like, the Bears should be able to beat the Vikings, if we're being totally honest with it You know, like they, they should. And they, I mean, they aren't, but they should. So it's like, I, I mean, I still see probably about two wins over that stretch, maybe three. You know, pretty much Texans, Lions, and then one of Vikings or Jaguars. But I have no confidence in beating the Packers either time unless, you know, week 17 and it's – Jordan Love making the start for Green Bay, and they've they've got a first round bye, and Matt Nagy's team is still fighting hard for win number eight. You know, I could maybe see that third win over these last six games, but if if you could go three, if you go three and three over this final stretch, I think that's a pretty big win for where the Bears are right now. But two is probably a little more likely. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I I think I'm pretty much in agreement with that. It's like I, I just think that we've got impending disaster ahead in the Packer game next week. Um, I'm scared to death of the Lions because they know they should have beaten us week one. Mm-hmm. Um, pandemic, you know, you no know, season, whatever you want to call it, they should have won week one, period. DeAndre Swift doesn't drop the game-winning touchdown pass <laughs> in the end zone. Yeah. They win the game. You know, the Lions won the game. Uh, you know, they just forgot to, you know, carry the ball to the end zone uh, on that one. And like you said, the the way the Jaguars just played, um, the Packers, they probably should have won that game, the way that that one was going. The Texans, I just see that one being the Deshaun Watson show because fuck you, that's why. I don't know. Um, (laughs) You know, just because. (laughs) Should have taken Watson because he just threw six touchdown passes in Soldier Field. You know, look at that. I could totally see something like
1: that happening. So, but you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of almost scary. The uh, if the if the Lions win uh, this week against the Panthers, they will have the same record as the Chicago Bears. Which <laughs> I know that I know. that's kind of a wake up call for me. I was like, that's, whoa, that's yeah, that's where this team is. I mean, even I mean, the Jaguars are one and eight, but they were are in the Texans are what, two and seven. Like that's maybe a little bit more the Bears tier at this point, even though they've won five games and they're still like you said out of the, out in the hunt on the outside looking yes. in somehow somewhere
0: that awesome graphic in the hunt and so where they they show you of the records of the teams that don't have a prayer of making the playoffs so but are somehow still mathematically alive at the same time but you know i don't know i honestly don't know because we don't know what we're going to get on offense we don't know who's going to be playing um you know it's like i i wish i could be a fly on the wall in hallis hall to hear what these guys are talking about you know, just just to hear their plan for what they're going to try to do offensively because it cannot be what we've been doing. It can't be. You know, it just, like, if I swear to God, Lauren, if I see another one of those quick wide receiver screens, I'm going to murder everyone in
1: Chicago. Especially on, was it like, was it second and four? The one to Allen Robinson in the, like, just outside of the red zone where it was tackled for a loss. And I mean, it was just, I understand, like, Maybe every once in a while, you know, it's first and 10 or it's, you know, it's some kind of situation where you have some flexibility. But when they call them and then just um, who they call them to and the yeah. formations. And it's just honestly, it man,
0: I, th- I thought we were done with this when we got rid of Helfrich, because I thought that was that was his yeah, influence. Uh, that was his influence of the college thing where you can honestly expect a wide receiver to break one tackle and get. You know, five yards on a one yard reception because that used to drive me just flat out insane to watch us on like third and four run two yard routes in front of the sticks.
1: What are you doing? What are and you doing? I, I found they, it, it. I was, thought those go ahead. I'd say it was third and five on the Minnesota 31. Nick Foles passed complete short right to Allen Robinson for minus four yards. Yeah. Third and five. In field goal range, and we're throwing behind the line of scrimmage to a wide receiver, to I your your slowest wide receiver. I mean, not that Allen Robinson is slow, but the, literally the slowest wide receiver on your depth chart, just because everybody else is just a little bit faster.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there. You go there. There it is, right there. So it's <laughs> just you know we we we, we got to come up with with something. Um, you know, I don't know. We haven't seen the power eye at all this year i mean remember we actually had some success with that when we gave it a a, a chance for five the chargers game and then remember that drive in the minnesota game at the end of the year they had one drive was like nine plays it was eight runs and david montgomery got like 60 percent of his rushing yards on one drive Mm -hmm. in that minnesota game you know we ran the power eye. we had it you know and and what's how many times are we going to have to watch nick Foles get killed or trubisky or whoever the hell our quarterback's going to be before we do match protection and keep the tight ends in, you know, let it be a three man route with you know keep the tight ends in or something uh, like that. It's just like how much, how many times are we going to have to watch the offensive line fail before we start helping them? That those are the decisions that are, you know, like when you said it comes down to to coaching and not putting our guys in the best position to succeed. And like and that's what I was saying over and over again until I was blue in the face against the against the Rams in that Monday night game, think about that play to Darnell Mooney that should have happened, but because we decided that it was a good idea to have Rashad Coward one-on-one with uh, Aaron Donald on that play, that Nick Foles didn't have the time that he needed to find Mooney down the sidelines because he shook Jalen Ramsey out of his shoes on that play and Mooney should have been able to moonwalk into the end zone. He was so <laughs> wide open. But instead, Nick Foles has to rush the throw. Like and it's just like you knew like we made the right call. We've made the right play call because he was going to he was going to Mooney no matter what on that play. Because that's exactly where he threw the ball the second he got under pressure. But he instead he heaves it out there and wasn't able to get enough underneath it so that Mooney could run under it and catch the ball for what would have been an, the easiest touchdown we have. All year, and instead we decide it's a good idea to go one on one with Aaron Donald, and of course he nearly, you know, kills Nick Foles, and it killed the play, and and what could have been, you know. And so, it's, go ahead.
1: It's like what Matt Nagy said, where this offense, if everyone does their job, it works, and you know, guys are getting open downfield, and we see every once in a while they'll complete it, and because everyone will for one play, one drive, in one quarter at a time, they'll get it where it works but so Matt nagy's like well well, then we just got to execute like the guys just got to do their jobs but they're not adapting the offense to like you you have to understand that these guys can't they can't all do their jobs right you don't have the talent on the offensive line and at, at the quarterback spot and to have everybody execute perfectly so you gotta change the offense. You gotta make an offense so maybe not everybody has to execute perfectly, or that you make it easier for everybody to execute perfectly. So it's not the same demands from each one. And that's where it feels like the the short sightedness and the blame for Matt Nagy goes, where it's not even like necessarily the play calling as it is the game planning and the scheme.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that it was the, the, the tight ends coach uh that said that last week or the week before, as in like somebody asked him why Cole Komet. Has it because he's basically a wasted draft pick at this point, with how much the Bears are using him? He's got like seven catches, ten games into the season. Yep. I mean, this is our top draft choice. You know, this is the future of our tight end position, and it, you know it's not like Eddie uh, or that uh, Jimmy Graham is out there dominating the landscape so that we don't have enough balls to get to Cole Komet. <laughs> you know, but he's got eight catches and maybe like ten, eleven targets the whole freaking season, uh, which is pathetic. And uh, the the tight end coach was mentioned something. I forget what the quote was, but he made it sound like well, we don't have enough him routes or something like that for, you know, like basically when he's on the field, he's not meant to be or something mm-hmm. like that. Like the routes that we're running aren't for him. Those aren't the routes and why the hell is he out there? Why <laughs> isn't he out there in a situation that's better suited for him? It just goes back to the whole you know, not putting our guys in the best position to succeed thing and it just made it sound like Nagy thinks that it's the scheme that is genius, so it doesn't matter who's out there. All they have to do is execute, and it will work. Just execute it, and it will work. No matter who's out there, which would explain the odd personnel groupings from time to time. You know, like just whoever's out there, who wants to play? All right, go in there. You know, just go ahead and, you know, make sure you run the right route, and, and we'll be fine. And
1: they can't even do that.
0: Right. So, I mean, and like you said early on, we, you got guys – Two guys running into the same area at the same time, which is why this play didn't work. And, you know, that guy ran the crossing route when he should have been going, you know, more of a flag route or, you know, that kind of thing. And just over and over again, we're seeing this, you know, because I'm I'm guessing that a lot of this stuff is determined at the line of scrimmage, which is why our guys are getting it wrong rather than like, here's the play. So that means we're doing this when we snap the ball instead of, okay, we get to the line of scrimmage. Now here's the play. And they're like, okay, wait, what am I supposed to be doing on this one now? You know, I just kind of get the feeling that's what's going out there for all the confusion and mistakes and mental errors that we keep seeing on the field. Because God forbid, and God bless, you know, I apologize for using the word. These guys aren't retarded. You know, it's just they're making these mistakes for a reason. It has to be something to do with the coaching. It's not because these guys are all idiots. You know what I mean? And and how
1: often are we still seeing – the play not get in down to the quarterback until oh like God. 15 seconds on the play clock. I mean, it's 100% in the control of your coaching staff. It's, yeah. And it didn't seem to matter whether it was Matt Nagy or Bill Lazer Now, I mean like there's something, there's something with the communication here and the thought where either like, the coaches aren't thinking far enough ahead. You, you, know, you kind of should have the next play in mind when you're calling the current play so that when this play runs out, then you know what you're going to do and you don't have to sit there and think, OK, clock's ticking. What do I call? What do I call? What do I call? It's like, OK, as soon as this play's over, I've got the next one ready. So whether it's an issue with that or with getting the play call from the booth to the sideline to the quarterback to the players and make adjustments, somebody's doing something wrong. And it's that's 100 percent coaching and coaching staff and something's got to fix it, you know.
0: Yeah. And you'd think with with how efficiently the defense appears to they're a well oiled machine compared to the yeah. offense. I mean, they're 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 not perfect, but they're certainly doing their job. That's for sure. Like they were the reason that we're five and one. They're the reason that we were, you know, somewhat of a legitimate five and one team is like with this defense, it's we're going to be in every game or so we would think anyway. You know, it's like because of this defense, and because that, you know, they get their job done. The only thing we're lacking on defense is takeaways. That's basically the only thing that's missing. Because pass rushing, even if we're not getting home and getting sacks, we're in the quarterback's face. We're disrupting the pocket. You know, we're making tackles. We're we're doing this. We're doing that on defense. They're getting the job done. You know, two weeks in a row, Tennessee and Minnesota, our defense gave a victory-worthy performance and walked away huge losers. And it's just not fair, <laughs> you know, and I'm waiting and, and I'm waiting like this coming Sunday when we're down 41 to nothing at halftime, like we were s- several years ago for the mutiny that's going to take place in the in the locker room. You know that it's just going to be like, you know what, I, you know, or like God forbid if somebody comes out, whether it's Mitch or Nick and, th- and throws a pick six or something like that in the first quarter for the mutiny that's going to happen with the deep Div- like why? Why do we keep going out there and busting our asses to help you guys and you just you know you're killing us. You know, that's why like you said before the def- the the Tennessee game would probably be rock bottom even though the Minnesota game felt worse. The Tennessee game would be worse because the de- the offense was actively working against its defense in that game. by <laughs> and I remember up, giving up points and everything.
1: I remember feeling like we had that same mutiny conversation at some points last year too. I mean even <laughs> though the defense was not as quite this even this good with the injuries that they had it still kind of felt like at what point are they say they're just gonna say hey man we're tired of doing everything and yeah especially if, if when you start getting four, you know three to four to five losses in a row with Green Bay man I mean it's got to be hard to keep the faith
0: I mean and that's basically all we got at this point you know because um it's not like we can we can build confidently on what we've seen uh, up to this point you know and and i apologize to everyone if you guys aren't appreciating the very cynical and you know disappointed tone uh, of the show but it's you know the the last five weeks have been very very difficult to to stomach i mean the first five weeks were no picnic but at least we won most of the games we found a way to come out ahead uh in those games we were we were persevering we were overcoming ad- adversity to find a way to win but the last five weeks is like we've been doing. Everything possible to give these games away in one form or another, whether it's been the lack of discipline and racking up penalty yards or the the mental errors, you know, with the lack of execution, whether it's been the offensive lines, you know, lackluster being a kind word, their performance uh, over the last month, COVID and injuries aside, they're still professionals you'd expect better uh, from them. You know, it's just been very difficult, and we're passionate people who love our team and and want more, and know that they're better than what they've been putting out there these last few weeks.
1: Yeah, it's like at this point, like being optimistic either feels like naive or like lying. Like, yeah, I, I think you. I mean, like, okay, if if you really want to like put together like the the most wishful thinking, it's like, okay, well, during the bye week. You're gonna get Jason Spriggs back. You, you know you've got Cody Whitehair back, and now he'll be 100% healthy. Sam Mustafer should be back as well. So maybe if you put Cody Whitehair at left guard, I mean the offensive line will be 100% as close to 100% healthy as I think as you're gonna get. And maybe you'll have both Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky healthy and. You can maybe make a quarterback change there, or maybe just Foles will be better with a better offensive line in front of him. And at the bye week, they're doing some self-scouting, so maybe they'll realize some of these mistakes that we keep seeing because they haven't had a lot of time to really dive in. Matt Nagy said he's going to talk to the players about, okay, what do you think we should do differently, and what do you think we should try, and maybe that'll give them some ideas, and, and maybe this offense can start to turn around just a little bit and then this defense keeps up what it's doing and maybe you can pull off a surprise win against the packers and and pull it and get some momentum there and then it's a little bit of an easier schedule with the lions and the texans and the vikings and the jaguars before the packers again maybe if everything goes right and you learn something and the, uh, there's a chance for a miracle but I think we're a little bit too realistic to expect that to happen because you're just going to get your hopes up to be disappointed. Right.
0: I mean, the hope is always going to be there, you know, because I'm not one of these fans, and I know that you're not. That's why I like you so much, that wants the Bears to tank for the best possible draft choice because we want to get, you know, uh, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or somebody like that in the draft next year. You know, like, I don't want that. I don't want to watch the Bears lose six more games, uh, you know, uh, or at least I'm not going to be the person that's keeping track of their draft spot as they lose one game after another. Because we, this conversation, if you've been listening to one second of it, is leading us to the fact that we're prepared to lose the next six games. With the way that we've played the the last two weeks especially, it would not surprise me if that did, in fact, happen. But you don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I would be very much happy if these last six games we went 5-1. and one. You know, and we're like, hell yeah, let's do it. We figured it out. We did something, uh, you know. And the the break was just, uh, you know, for the first time in how many years the bye week actually helped us instead of hurt us uh, uh, kind of thing. You know, and that's, that's what I'm hoping happens. But the reality uh, is two and four is probably the ballpark and where we're at three and three on the optimistic side, I think, is if, is, if we're living in reality, that's
1: most likely what we're looking at here. And to your whole point about tanking, too, like the Bears have won too many games at this point for tanking to make a big difference. Like, they're if they had a chance to still pick in the top five, you know, if it was for whatever reason they were like that bad, then like maybe you could start to have that conversation. But at five and five right now, even if they lost all six games and finished five and eleven, they're still probably outside of the top ten. If and and regardless, even if they're in the top ten. They're not going to be able to get one of the top quarterbacks without making a trade up either way. So exactly, yeah. at this point, whether you're picking 10, 12 or 20, I don't know that it makes. I mean, yes, you, you could give up less to move up for a quarterback. Sure. I mean, I understand it does make a difference, but the the amount of a difference it makes is not huge given how difficult it's going to be to trade up for a quarterback from any spot in, in this draft class and how, uh, how many other problems the Bears have to address this season you might as well try and win some games and more rationally for our sake enjoy the football that you watch on sunday i would much rather enjoy these yes, last six games
0: yes, that's yeah
1: cuz you get the whole i mean the whole you get the whole off season to not have football so while we have football on sundays i want to enjoy them i don't want to sit here and say lose bears lose you know i really hope this team loses and i want to see terrible football i want to see good games and mm-hmm. i, I that's just like a natural thing as a fan of the sport that we should all want to see. So, yeah, I, I I'm not on board with that process at all. It just doesn't make a difference for this team. It's different in like the NBA and some other sports maybe, but not yeah not in the NFL in the way it's structured well, right I now. I mean,
0: I think it's different if if you if you look upon our draft spot as a silver lining to losing the game, but to be outright sure. one of those idiots on Twitter that says. We should just tank the rest of the year so we can go after so and so in the draft. Drop dead, okay? I don't. That is so <laughs> stupid and so ignorant that you would root for the Bears to lose the next six games. You know, if if somebody said to me like, you know what, I I, I want the Bears to win the next six games, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if we lost them all so we get a better shot at a guy like Justin Fields or something uh, like that. You know, that's one way. But I'm seeing people out and out say we should tank so we can get Zach Wilson in the first round or so and so or whatever, which goes back to the argument I made earlier. We gotta put a football team together before we bring in a Zach Wilson or we're just gonna ruin another first round quarterback.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 a, one of the that's one of the storylines for this offseason that it's so early that it's getting overlooked now, but I'm curious as as we move forward that will be requiring a lot of discussion is like that. That whole point of like, OK, the Bears do need to get a new quarterback this offseason, but they need to get a whole new football. I mean, not a whole football team, but the whole new offense If yeah. and maintain as much of the defense as possible. Like they're they're not ready for a rookie quarterback right now. No, Maybe they can no. be by draft day, but they got a lot of work to do between now and then. So you're 100 percent right.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that was my feeling going into the 2017 draft. Like people like I know that you were a big uh, Watson guy. Uh, going into the draft and everything, like my argument was against the position, not so much the players. Yeah, like just we we can't put a quarterback on this team because you draft a guy number three, you're putting him on the field. You know, you're putting him out there. You're going to start him right away, and who the hell is he going to throw the ball to? <laughs>
1: who? Josh Bellamy, baby. Oh, you know, there we go. Is, is he? He's still facing fraud charges from COVID grants or loans wasn't that a thing he was arrested for yeah he was indicted or that's yeah that's who Trubisky was throwing to but like I I, you know as you say this like I'm getting I'm almost getting like flashbacks to 2017 like with the way this Bears team stands it's like well if they give Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy another year and they draft a rookie quarterback kind of feels like we were with Fox and and Trubisky you know and Foles is your Mike Glennon at that point and And you're drafting a you're really, drafting a rookie to play on a team that's not ready for a rookie quarterback yeah, either with a lame duck head coach.
0: That's really kind of like the only scenario in which I would, I guess, accept the idea of bringing in a new quarterback was if we're starting over again. Like, And, and I'm not saying like starting from scratch and rebuilding, but if we if we got a new regime and a new coach comes in and wants to have his guy, then I get it. I'm, I'm still not a fan of the idea because of the rest of the roster that we have right now, but I understand. Yeah. I get that. That's what you want to do. New GM, new coach wants to bring in his his new quarterback. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's where we want to go. Then, okay, then that's fine. Let's do that. But if it's going to be Pace and um, Nagy again in 2021, then I am absolutely against the Bears taking another quarterback. I just don't want to see it happen, at least not in the first round anyway.
1: One so, hypothetical I, I saw on Twitter, I want to throw at you real quick. Somebody, sure. I, I don't remember who it was. It was one I think it was a one of the more like national fantasy football guys. Was he? He threw something out there. He said, "If you're the Bears, would you consider uh, you, Larry? Would you consider offering the Houston Texans, Khalil Mack, and two first round picks for Deshaun Watson?" No. No. You
0: lost me at two first round picks. What I mean? What about Mack and one first round pick? No.
1: No first round picks. To secure a surefire franchise quarterback. A young, surefire franchise quarterback.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Wouldn't do it. Too much?
0: Way too much. Way too much. I mean, you get— re- But, I mean, also, you have to realize, at the same time, Watson just signed a Mahomes-type deal.
1: Yeah. So, that's why you, That's what the Mac money would help offset. Yeah. You know? But,
0: I mean, granted, Khalil Mack's like, still like the second or third highest paid defensive player in the league— uh, at this point, making around $23 million or so. But Watson just signed a deal for like $35 uh, <laughs> million a season. So no, no. To give up that draft capital, absorb that contract, and give away our best player, no thank you. No
1: yeah, Four-year, $160 million extension.
0: Yeah, so $40 million a season. Okay. How much is that With guaranteed? Like $110?
1: 111 yep. Oh,
0: damn. Almost nil. I was guessing. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. His cap his his dead cap is $75 million. Oh yeah.
0: Wow. The, the Texans yep. would gladly give him away. They have to absorb a $75 million cap hit. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. So, and I also wouldn't trade for Sam Darnold. I think that the Jets broke him.
1: So, Yeah, that's obviously a much lower price there, but I although most of the quarterback options this offseason scare me. So, and what I would
0: do just for the hell of it cuz it wouldn't cost us a thing. Sign Josh Rosen. He's on a practice squad. You could sign him for nothing.
1: We could always have the Colin Kaepernick discussion
0: too. Yeah, yeah. Let's not do that. <laughs> I got in trouble the last time I talked
1: about Colin Kaepernick. It's not worth it. Uh oh. So yeah, Josh no, Rosen to... is yeah. yeah. It's about I... the, you're getting about the same risk level or about the same potential output there for Rosen and Sam Darnold are for me are, are in similar boats at this point. Right, but there's a lot less risk. We're
0: not giving up draft yeah, capital to get free. Josh Rosen. He's on a practice yeah. squad. We we give up a roster spot. That's all we got to give up to get Josh Rosen. So, yeah. you know, actually, I don't know why it's not something we haven't explored at this point, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, it was so. Deshaun Kaiser and Kyle Slaughter instead. Yeah, why don't we just,
0: yeah, get rid of Tyler Bray. That's obviously not going to happen. Just bring in Josh Rosen. I know he doesn't know the offense, but he went to UCLA, so he's a smart kid. Throw him out there see what happens. <laughs> I mean, at this point, what do we have to lose? So, yeah. So I don't know. But um, anyway, Lauren, I think we've rambled on for long enough. And, um, you know, the the first 10 games, it's gotten worse as we've gotten along. So, you know, not exactly the most optimistic of conversations that we've had. Uh, I look forward to the day that we can do that, actually, to have <laughs> one of these midseason conversations. We're like, wasn't the first half great? And look at the schedule that we have ahead of us. We're going to walk right through this thing. Uh, I look forward to that day. May that day come. I hope um but um you know it's it's, it's always great having you it's uh, impressive on the that show. team hasn
1: 't beaten that out of you over the years.
0: You know what man I think i I can thank the Cubs for that <laughs> just
1: because you know loving them
0: the way that I have. I was a born and raised North Sider, watching them lose ninety games a year here and and year out and just crush any spirit I had for this us is to be yeah for us to be out of the playoff race in May. You know, and all that kind of stuff. i like, yeah, okay, but I, I still love them and and everything. The Bears have been a bit more soul crushing with the way that they've, you know, kind of lost. And not to mention, football's my sport, so I don't really care about baseball. I uh, yeah. only I only care about the Cubs. But uh, yeah, I, I I do think it is a testament to my will as a person that I haven't just eating a gun at this point watching the bears play sometimes
1: <laughs> well to, to put a little bow on this i looked up uh bradley soul your 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 bud bradley soul he's actually covering uh old miss college football now i saw he's he's done a couple podcasts uh providing his analysis on his alma mater so he's he's in the podcast game too how about that how about that <laughs> lauren tell
0: us where we can uh keep up with you when you're not uh delighting us on my show
1: yeah like you mentioned at the top uh t- 5 days a week on the Locked On Bears podcast as well as uh, on Twitter at Cox Sports 1. I always say it's like Fox Sports 1 but with a C. There you go. And
0: do, do you still write for
1: Bears Wire or You know, I've gotten away from it over the years. Uh okay. it's you know, real life catches up to you a little bit. So I still find time for the podcast, but I I've been meaning to break the pen out, the proverbial pen and paper out. But I, I haven't done some writing in a little while, but it's something I, I want to eventually work back into.
0: All right. Well, Lauren, thanks again uh, for, for, for coming back on and for for humoring us in, in this conversation. Uh, we, we tried to find optimism, but we just kept talking ourselves out of it uh, throughout <laughs> this conversation. But uh, we look forward to having you back on at the end of the year to sum up these last six games to see how accurate or how far off are our predictions to of a two and four three and three being an optimistic
1: view of these
0: last six games
1: yeah hopefully at that point we'll be able to be optimistic about the offseason and the opportunities ahead that the team can fix everything in the upcoming offseason and don't worry everything will be fine so hopefully it'll be a, a better conversation then but i appreciate the t- as always larry it's always a good time and i look forward to it
0: all right lauren cox from locked on bears and uh we we'll look forward to having him back on again soon <laughs> Always a great time having Lauren Cox on the show. Be sure and catch his podcast, the locked on bears uh, show. I always check it out. It's always a good time. Lots of great information like their crossover up uh, crossover episodes uh, as well. Uh, when they have other locked on uh, guests and God knows that, uh, you know, we have plenty of those locked on guys on the show. So you listen to him, you may be here the next guy that's going to be on our show uh, kind of thing. But um the next uh speaking of guests the next episode that we will be doing will come out next thursday on thanksgiving day so give you something to enjoy uh when uh, the bears aren't playing on thanksgiving for the first time in a few years myself and uh, evan western gonna get together and preview uh week 12 between the bears and the packers uh, and as you guys have heard not a lot of optimism uh, on our side going into uh into that game but um We'll have Evan on the show anyway and hopefully he can make us, hopefully he can do what what Ross Jackson did, what Tyler, um, I can't remember Tyler's last name now, so Roland, Tyler Roland and uh, Brad Motter did for us and making us feel better uh, about our chances going into a football game that we've got doubts about. Maybe Evan can help us out. Uh, We'll see uh, about that though. He is a Packer guy after all, so maybe he'll just be looking to twist the knife you know how those bloody packer fans are but uh nonetheless that's when we'll be back next thursday and then we'll have the deep dive so when you're out shopping on friday for black friday throw in the earbuds and uh hear what uh what impending doom i am you know uh, um predicting for the bears when they travel into lambo on national tv on sunday night uh football so come back for all of that joy next week Enjoy your holiday. Enjoy your families. Everybody stay safe. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. You know, it's your life. I prefer to wear the mask. Why take the chance? But um, whatever you're doing, wearing a mask, don't wear a mask, social distance, get up close. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the holiday. God bless you. And we'll see you next time on the Bears Talk Underground. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.